From between the hedges at Sanford Stadium to the practice fields, from Stegman Coliseum and wherever else the Bulldogs are playing, it's time to talk Georgia sports. From the Athens Banner Herald, here are your hosts, Mark Weiser and Ryan Dennis. What's up? It's the Bulldogs Extra Podcast. As uh, you heard, Mark Weiser with Ryan Dennis, and it is game week. Georgia-Oregon Chick-fil-A kickoff game. Ryan, do you, do you always use Chick-fil-A like um, whenever you talk about this game? Are you going to be putting it in your copy on Saturday multiple, multiple times? Uh, yeah, I mean, I feel like I refer to it as the Chick-fil-A game. That, that sounds right. I mean... You know, I don't. I don't know that I would uh, say the game at Mercedes Benz, but it is the Chick Fil A game. And you know why? I also, we'll say it because hopefully we get a, like a ten dollars coupon on our seat when we get to the uh, Mercedes Benz Arena. Ryan always greedy, wanting the freebies. Uh, <laughs> we are, uh, truth be told, we are recording this uh, Wednesday night. Probably pop this up Thursday morning, I believe. Yep. There will be games tonight, and when I say tonight, I mean Thursday that are worth watching. We'll make some picks later. Uh, before that, more importantly, well, let me mention that we'll have James Crepia uh, of the Oregonian to break down the matchup and Dan Lanning taking over the Oregon program. And uh, as I mentioned, we'll make those weekly picks. Ryan, Stetson Bennett brought up a very important name the other day. Need to get your take on where you stand with Colby Calais, who uh, the national championship quarterback likes to listen to pregame. One song in particular and uh, do you like her better than Sarah Bareilles? You know, I, I know the hits. Uh, you know, I, I like the Kobe Calais song. Uh, you know, uh, I still like it. It, it is a, a cool song now, getting you pumped up before a football game. That's an odd, odd choice. The Sarah Bareilles song, you know, I'm not going to write you a love song because you asked for it. You know, apparently that was in response to the uh, what, what are the companies that uh, that run these big time of uh, you know records and stuff they asked her to write a love song so she said screw y'all I'm going my own ways and I'm not going to write a love song so there's my knowledge on those two fine female singers Sarah Bareilles also uh, I believe wrote the musical uh, Waitress that was on Broadway probably I think it toured to the Classic Center sometime in the last year as well uh, if you want to learn more about this, we have a Broadway and uh, kind of a love song podcast. That'll be out <laughs> later this week. <laughs> Mark Weiser talks uh, Hamilton. Stetson Bennett, though, talking about the song Bubbly, I think you mentioned. Um, all right, that's, that's it for the music part. Uh, they're both uh, fine uh, for that genre. Um, Colby Calais was actually touring with like a, I don't know if it was folk or Americana or country act, uh, like a group a few years ago. Uh, in Atlanta, but hey, uh, don't know what uh, Xavier Trust or Tate Rallage listen to. I'm guessing Tate Rallage, maybe not a. Well, you know what? He's actually got a little bit. Uh, he's got a diverse taste. Maybe he is into that. Um, I bring up those guys' names because I think we have a pretty good beat on, you know, some of these position battles that were going on at the beginning of camp. Looks like Truss will be your left guard. Tate Rallage, your right guard. Um, you know, and that, that means you got guys like Amarius Mims. Warren Erickson, uh, you know, in the backup realm, um, you know, what, what do you make of kind of those guys winning jobs, apparently? 
Yeah, it's it's interesting. I mean, Xavier Trust again, a guy that at the end of last year we thought struggled a little bit uh, coming down the stretch. And uh, obviously, uh, you know, we say this every week, I feel like, but hopefully Tate Ratlitch is healthy because he was your starter last year in game one against Clemson. And, you know, when he's healthy, I think they want him to be the guy there at that position. So uh, I guess I am a little surprised because it did seem like Amarius was was going to be your, your starting guard maybe. Uh, and the fact that Xavier kind of took it away from him here at the end of camp uh, is it, surprising. But, hey, it would not surprise me if there's a, a little bit of a rotation until they find the right fit and the right combination that works best there uh, across the line. I'm not sure how much work Amarius Mims has gotten at Gardner. We haven't seen too much of practice. He's, he looks like the backup right tackle. But, I mean, you've got to find a way to get that guy some playing time. I mean, he came out of the portal to come back to Georgia. Right. Um, so, I mean, it's about time that, that he saw some significant action. Zion Logue, the nose guard on Georgia's uh, defensive front now, talked about the offensive line. He said they're ready to maul, they're ready to move stuff. Yeah, they better be because they got some big shoes to fill, you know, coming in for the likes of Jordan Davis, Devontae Wyatt. And, uh, uh, no, 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 you're talking about the offensive line. Oh, I see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Well, they, uh, you know, the thing about that offensive line is, I mean, you knew the three positions that were locked in, right? Uh, you pretty much knew Broderick Jones was going to be a left tackle. You knew that Warren McClendon was going to be a right tackle and Cedric Von Prom was going to be your middle. So, I mean, that's three stout guys right there. And, again, I think we know that Tate Ratlitch is a, is a pretty big beast too. And, you know, you get to see him up close and personal the other night at interviews, and uh, you wouldn't be able to move him, would you? Maybe. We'll see. Depends what I ate for breakfast that day. Uh, we know Jamon Dumas Johnson is going to be starting at one of the inside linebacker spots. Smile Mondin, probably the leading candidate for the other spot. Uh, Kirby said that um, your punter is Australian. Brett Thorson likely. Uh, he had the lead, but you know, who knows? Maybe there'll be a surprise there. And uh, we mentioned, Do we know, is he a straight-up punter? Or is he, yeah, he going to be kind I of mean, a – based on what we saw in – I mean, I know that's the scheme that Georgia has, but yeah. I didn't know if they would uh, yeah. you know, make him roll out a little bit or something. I mean, no, I mean, they'll, they'll have him do what they would – you know, he's not going to – if he's good at that, they would taught it. But, I mean, I, we didn't see that on G-Day. Maybe it's a surprise that they will unleash. We're really talking about the putting this much. I guess we can. Um, this is all kind of speculation because Kirby did not put out a depth chart. No surprise. Uh, Oregon didn't put out a depth chart. A lot of schools do. Uh, Kirby wouldn't even say that whether Glenn Schumann or Will Muschamp will be in the booth. The presumption is that it will be – Schumann, because that's where he's been, and Muschamp on the field, kind of doing his uh, eruptions, uh, as, as you've seen him do before. Possibility. Dan Lanning not announcing the starter. We, we assume it's going to be Bo Nix. Does this stuff matter? Which stuff exactly? The Bo Nix not being a starter? No, it doesn't matter that they're, like, they don't want to reveal their cards. Well, see, that's funny to me. I was going to ask you, what, what significance does it mean, you know, if – what could a, what could Oregon glean from which coordinator is up in the box or on the sideline? I don't understand well, why I you would, wouldn't want to announce that. I would uh, guess they would think that if Schumann was on the sideline, that he would be the one calling the plays, not Muschamp. I mean, I don't think Kirby will ever say this guy's calling the plays or that guy's calling the plays because you you want to kind of have it out there that these are co-defensive coordinators as they are in title, but. You know, Schumann usually, I mean, with Lanning, he was upstairs, you know, 
providing a picture of what he saw from a, up high and landing was making the actual calls on the field. So hmm. I guess he doesn't want to give up, you know, too much detail. I think landing probably has a good guess anyway. Um, what about the, the uh, what about the whole Dan landing against Georgia dynamic, um, which we'll talk about very shortly with James, um, you know, we, we've seen these kind of things before. We t- I feel like we wrote about it a lot when it was like, you know, Muschamp going up against Georgia. And, but the difference, obviously, is landing just came from the staff, kind of like Sam Pittman. I had a chance to talk to Sam Pittman last week. Wrote up a story this week about what he remembered about the 2020 game going up against Georgia in his coaching debut. Well, I, I say that he did coach, like, in the high school and junior college level, like, 25 years ago. But... Um, you know, does that does anybody have an advantage? You think Georgia or Oregon, based on Dan Lanning being over there? I think Georgia, you know, has an advantage because they uh, they they know that Dan Lanning is bringing that same type of thought process and system to Oregon. Now, with this being a first time thing, I mean, it seems like the experience would would trump him having knowledge of what Georgia does. And so, I, I mean, I, I think Dan's obviously going to know some of the ins and outs of what, uh, you know, Georgia might be doing on offense and obviously what Georgia's defensive scheme is going to be like. But I think when it comes down to it, this is two teams that are going to be similar in their mindset. And Kirby Smart's been doing it a little bit longer than, than Dan Lanning and, and, you know, Will Muschamp as well. And so, I, I mean, I don't think there's any advantage uh, as far as Dan Lanning knowing exactly what Georgia's going to run or anything. Brian McClendon, of course, was the interim head coach for Oregon in the bowl game, spent the last two years there. He knows all about the personnel, at least, you know, on offense. Uh, so he can share that with the DBs. He can, you know, share it with, obviously, uh, with Muschamp and and with Schumann, so that's the other wrinkle in there, and uh, you know it might be an advantage to each side, obviously with that knowledge. But you know we'll, we'll see what if any anything kind of plays out in that regard. All right, let's let's now take a break and uh, bring on James. All right, we welcome aboard James Crepia of the Oregonian to break down the matchup and Dan Lanning taking over the Oregon program. And uh, James' uh, stories can be found at OregonLive.com. James, what's going on? How are you? Doing well, Mark. How are you? Doing good. Uh, Let's start with a big storyline for this game, uh, Dan Lanning. How has the former Georgia defensive coordinator fit in up in uh, Eugene? What have been your impressions of him in the nine or so months uh, that he's been uh, the head duck? Well, he's, he's certainly fit in rather well. And I don't think that really should come as a surprise to, to anybody. Um, I'm sure certainly not for, for Georgia fans, but uh, I mean, look, he, he's inheriting a program that was successful. This is not, uh, one of those instances of, you know, a head coach comes in after someone was fired and the wheels fell off. Um, you know, this team finished poorly, but they won 10 games last year and they were nine and one heading into Salt Lake city before they lost three of their final four games. So not everything is, uh, is terrible and awful and bad. You know, yeah. Mario Cristobal left. And he went to Miami, but Mario Cristobal was who was here. Uh, and I say that in that, you know, 
obviously they both spent time at Tuscaloosa. They spent time together uh, on the same staff. So Dan knows what the culture here was. Obviously is very familiar with it. So with that in mind and, and has similar traits and characteristics that, you know, he obviously was uh, coming up under in, in both Alabama and Georgia. So that's not to say he's a you know carbon copy by any stretch of the imagination. Um, there are some differences, but there are more similarities than there are differences uh, in all things. And it starts obviously on the recruiting trail, but in terms of on the field and things that we've seen, look, that's still to be determined. You know, we haven't seen in a game yet. Yeah, you have the spring game. We have really select things and practices. So that's a little bit of an unknown to an extent. But as a whole, as he fit in and fit in on the recruiting trail, fit in culturally, fit in with the players, yeah, across the board. Uh, and obviously a lot of optimism with the fan base, but that goes for a lot of fan bases when the, when there's a new head coach that brings a, you know the right kind of energy. And uh, again, also uh, uh, with a lot of reason for optimism between what they've accomplished on the recruiting trail. And obviously in Dan's case, Coming, uh, coming in after helping win a national championship. James, take us back to the to the hiring process and uh, when Dan Lanning's name kind of came to the forefront. Was the fan base excited? Was there another name or two that they had kind of hoped maybe would have emerged? Yeah, I, they were excited. Uh, certainly, on uh, those final whatever it was, I'm trying to remember now. Uh, it's like nine, eight, eight, nine months ago. It feels like forever ago. Uh, about 20-ish hours or so uh, from that, you know, Friday into into Saturday when things got absolutely nailed down official there in December. And there was some discussion, you know, informally in terms of, you know, hey, names get out there and what have you. And uh, whether it was uh, on the Twitter Spaces platform or you know, radio interviews and those things like that. Uh, I can only speak for myself, but I had mentioned Dan at the time and, and not because I, I was convinced that he would be the guy, but because I went, well, if you're not going to get a sitting head coach, then you go for the Broyles finalists. And he was a Broyles finalist last year. He was a Broyles finalist twice. And generally speaking, if you do that once, you're on a fast track to becoming a head coach. You do it twice, that's almost unheard of. So certainly made a lot of sense. Uh, yes, had people excited, uh, particularly in the final stages, uh, you know, as, as basically it was just uh, becoming official. Uh, in terms of who else they may have wanted, obviously, they were, you know, if you saw the stories at the time uh, from uh, a certain faction of former players who – uh, felt a certain kind of way. Now they haven't said a word about it since, uh, you know, to the contrary, but, you know, they felt a certain way in terms of wanting uh, somebody with a certain kind of connection to the program and its history and its understanding and whatnot. Um, I'm not sure how many people that uh, group uh, that, that signed off on this uh, letter that was sent at the time to, to Rob Mullins, uh, the athletic director of Oregon uh, really felt uh terribly strongly about uh, some of the contents of it, but be that as it may, uh, much ado about nothing these days, uh, to say the least. And in terms of when Mario first left, who were some fans, some fans, I want to stress, not everybody, I don't speak for the Oregon fan base, uh, but again, on Twitter spaces in particular, when there was hundreds of people in there at a time uh, engaging and, and talking about it, 
Yeah, they, you know, there were some of them who wanted Lane Kiffin, some of them, not everybody, but there were some who did. Um, now, that was an outlandish uh, thing, only that there was no way in the world that uh, uh, the administration here would, uh, would necessarily go for that. But be that as it may, we're here now. They were happy. They were excited then. They're happy. They're excited now. And there's a lot of reason for it. Last thing on landing before we uh, move to uh, more about Oregon and the matchup. He went to Missouri to look at his upbringing and people that kind of helped get him to this uh, part of his coaching career and his life. What were the biggest things you learned uh, in your uh, time, you know, kind of uh, writing the landing uh, story, uh, you know, how he, how he became the Ducks coach uh, in his coaching career? Sure. Well, uh, certainly there were, even when there were stories and, and anecdotes that had been told before, uh, obviously with the, uh, notorious drive, you know, to Pittsburgh to become the GA and, and get into the college coaching profession, there were so many details and, uh, bits of information that had not, uh, been reported before. Uh, related to those things that were very widely reported. Uh, so whether it was really specific instances with uh, all his college buddies who also lived at the house on Elizabeth Street, uh, which is in Liberty, Missouri, and uh, at where he went to school at William Jewell College, um, whether it was, you know, certain, you know, certain side stories from living in the house or, uh, Heck, one specific incident I was like wrote about today um, in, in a, a particularly lengthy story on all this uh, from that particular uh, time era. Uh, when they were seniors, uh, they being you know a large swath of uh, of that class, uh, he and his uh, high school buddy Logan Minnick, uh, who play, again played together in high school, played together really dating back to like fourth grade, fifth grade. Um, they had collided during a high school game. Uh, on a punt return where uh, Minnick was returning the punt and uh, Lanning was going to help him out uh, blocking. And basically they juked right into each other and uh, that happens. And fast forward uh, about four years later and uh, not on a punt return on, uh, on just an average everyday run play, but uh, running back got upended by uh, another defender and, uh, Lanning ended up diving at the play and uh, breaking Minnick's leg. Mm-hmm. Now, you know, again, lifelong buddy of his, but you want to talk about like, you know, as a player being, you know, carrying yourself with a certain level of tenacity and stuff. And, you know, well, why do you do it other than they're both trying to make a play? Well, the week before Lanning got marked down uh, by you know, Jules defensive coordinator for, t- for two loafs. And uh, that didn't sit well with him. And he, wrote loaf on his, you know, wrist tape and, uh, you know, wasn't going to go for it again. And, you know, it wasn't going to happen again. And, you know, fast forward and then, you know, the following week and that happens. Um, little, little things, little details like that and, and plenty of others, uh, talk to, you know, yeah, you got into, uh, the high school coaching realm and was the P teacher and also coached at Park Hill South high school, talked to and found, uh, one of the wide receivers and defensive backs, who was one of the first players he ever coached 
uh, and talk to him about, you know, what was his first impressions? What was Dan like as a receivers coach? Uh, did he know much about receivers other than he played tight end in high school? And uh, obviously as a defender, you have to understand the route tree and the concepts, but um, how much did he really know from a technique perspective or was he just kind of learning on the fly? Uh, that player has since gone on to follow a very similar path to Dan, uh, quite frankly, and that he went to William Jewell and then coached to Park Hill South and then got in at a small college. Now he's been at the small college now for uh, this will be that that guy's fifth season. So not quite as rapid in a sense uh, at that point in his career as, as Dan, but similar, uh, certainly. So like I say, anecdotes like that, bits like that, things personal to uh, to Dan as well. Um Again, we talked about the drive to Pittsburgh. Well, what else about Pittsburgh uh, after you get the job? You know, beyond, oh, well, you took a big risk going there not knowing if you're going to, you know, land a job or not. Well, what was the downside if you didn't other than, well, you could have gone back, still been coaching, still pursued other GA jobs. But what was the risk in taking a job like that other than it doesn't pay very much? Well, you know, it kind of gets glazed over because obviously we know what's happened the last 10, 11 years since. But, you know, being a GA and taking a job for $800 a month, obviously is not glorious. It's one thing to put yourself through the ringer. It's another thing to ask your wife. And when you have an infant and you have a second child on the way to do that, well, how do you cover the difference? Well, he cashed in $18,000 in his retirement to do it. Now, these are some of the, like I say, some of the morsels of information along the way. So among the many, uh, that are part of the story. And like I say, we're, we're at two parts into a three-part uh, uh, story this week uh, on all this on Dan. So it's been a lot of fun to report. Uh, yeah, going back to Richmond, going to uh, Liberty, Missouri, talking to uh, so many guys who, like I say, grew up with, played in high school with, some who we went on to play in college with, other guys who just played in college with, coaches, you name it, um, to just get a, a sense and feel for the just uh, overall impact of so many people who helped uh, shape them along the way. Yeah, fascinating stuff, man. Moving to the field, uh, I guess Bo Nix hadn't been announced a starter, but is this the worst-kept secret uh, by Dan Lanning so far? I tend to think so. Um, I mean, look, we we obviously, like, I'm sure you guys are, are in the similar boat, and, and unfortunately uh, many of us in, in the profession are nowadays. Not like we get a lot of practice. Now, we get practice. I'm not going to complain. Uh, you're able to see a little bit, but – it's very little. Now, I will say this week, um, you know, Tuesday and Wednesday this week, we've actually saw something that resembled football uh, far more than we saw during fall camp where uh, what wasn't very football-like other than uh, some special teams. So we saw a little bit more football-like. Having you know, We actually saw quarterbacks throw footballs to receivers and running backs, you know, on, on more than uh, five-yard screen passes. So that that was, you know, of note. But to the question of who their starter will be, do I think it'll be Knicks? Yes. Would I be mystified if they, you know, tried to pull a fast one, not by that uh, Ty Thompson end up being the not just starter, but play, you know, the whole game or something? I'd be awfully surprised. Um, having said that, could I see them try to pull some kind of subterfuge of, oh, well, Ty was technically the starter. He went out there for one snap or one series and, you know, Hey, whatever. Yeah. You know, ultimately you brought in a transfer quarterback. It was the first major personnel decision made, particularly on the offensive side. 
He's a three-year starter from the SEC, has played Georgia, uh, obviously not terribly successfully while he was there, but Auburn was obviously not terribly successful, and not only because of Bo Nix while he was there. Uh, he was behind very bad offensive lines. Should he be the starter, this will be the best offensive line he has ever played behind. That doesn't mean that two and two together, Nix is the starter behind a great line, that that's automatic success because this very good line, which is probably the best offensive line in the Pac-12 this year, is going up against far and away the best defensive line it'll face with far and away the best defensive tackle it will face <laughs> all season. So uh, there will certainly be a monumental test, regardless if Nix is the starter or Thompson's the starter or, what, or they alternate or whatever they end up doing. But I would be surprised if it's not Bonix starting and Bonix playing at most all but, you know, one snap or two snaps or something because he's the experienced guy. And, you know, I, I think you lean on that in an environment in a game like this. James used to cover Auburn, so it's only right that we're talking about a former Auburn quarterback. Uh, let's switch it to the inside backers. Georgia had some big-time guys last year that – we also saw go in the first couple of days of the NFL draft. Tell us about the Oregon duo um, that, you know, probably are going to be next level guys as well. Noah Sewell and Justin Flo. Yeah. So former number one and number two ranked inside linebackers uh, in their class a couple of years ago. And, you know, obviously five stars with that and all the recruiting hype in the world, when they came in, you know, much, as you might imagine, much was expected. And of course, then the pandemic hit and out here, it hit very differently in that, you know, the season was canceled and then brought back later than anybody else. And they played half a season and it really wasn't half a season. Um, it had no competitive integrity uh, on the field, uh, really fell for the players and, and coaches in that way and, and fans who couldn't, you know, attend games. Then flow gets hurt in the season opener of that very messed up season. Sewell goes out and absolutely has a, uh, you know, and it all being a small sample size, a really impressive debut season tied for the team lead and tackles, obviously a really instinctual player and given his family lineage, not just with uh, his, he's the youngest of four and, Older brother Panay was, you know, the Outland Trophy winner here at Oregon, and he came here in part to play with Panay, and then Panay opted out of the 2020 season for all the right reasons and ended up being, you know, top pick by the Detroit Lions that year, and he's, he's been there since and having success in the NFL. But one of his other older brothers, Nephi, was just a linebacker with Utah last year and, and helped them win a Pac-12 title. Uh, and I think just got picked up, I believe, even today on a, a practice squad by the Saints. Um, so – Really successful player there with Noah Sewell. All right, well, last year, start the season again. They're, obviously, Sewell's coming off that. Flow's healthy again. Okay, you know, let's see what they actually look like together. And Oregon fans were clamoring for it, and they got it in that Fresno State game. On one hand, Kayvon Thibodeau went down late in the first quarter. That wasn't great. He missed some time. But, hey, you know, then you see Justin Flow just go completely bananas and put up 14 tackles, some of them just – viciously violent big hits. So, uh, you know, as they a glass half full, half empty kind of perspective of the day, 
And then it very quickly became all the way empty because once again, Flo got hurt and had a season ending injury in the first game of the season. So just compounded upon, you know, Thibodeau's uh, ankle sprain in the season opener last year with Flo's injury. So here we are in year three of these two former five-star number one and number two inside linebackers. And it was the first time in, I think it was uh, about 15 years, USC was the last team to have the number one and two inside linebackers in the same recruiting class. And they've barely played together. So Sewell's played far more, obviously, again. Flo's barely played. And yet all you hear, and or not just from teammates and whatnot, what you see when we are there at practice, what you see in the practice highlight film from the program is Flo just absolutely unleashing brutal hits. So should he be able to stay healthy? And obviously Ducks fans are beyond crossing fingers uh, at this point, begging for him to stay healthy. Should he be able to do so? This is a player who can absolutely be one of the best inside linebackers in the country if he can actually stay healthy. And it's like, how can you say that after he's only played, you know, two games in two years? That's the kind of physical freaking phenom Justin Flo is. It's just that we've barely had a chance to see him. And Sewell is right on up there too, a preseason first team All-American. And, you know, some early draft, you know, mock drafts and stuff have him going in the first round next year. So two excellent players. Yes, Georgia recruited them. Uh, going back a couple of years ago, but many schools recruited them. Uh, Georgia, Ohio State, you name it. Uh, everybody was recruiting these guys, and and for good reason. All right, James, one more before we let you get out of here. The line on this one, 17 and a half, a little high in my opinion. I mean, I might put some money on the Ducks if, uh, you know, if I had the chance to, but what would it take for Oregon to ultimately spring an upset in this game and and even pull out a victory? I agree. I think the line may be a little high. Having said that, you know, I, I think there will be uh, many of the team this year who probably takes a licking from Georgia uh, and obviously teams who took a licking last year from Georgia. Uh, and we're not necessarily terrible or bad teams just because they lost by two touchdowns to Georgia. Uh, so having said that, I do think it may be a little high, uh, particularly with the amount that Georgia lost. And with the talent that Oregon does have, having said that your path to victory question, I do think it's going to take, you know, everybody can default to this all the time when, when these questions come up, but I mean, especially this is, we can call it a neutral site and that it's off campus. It is not going to be neutral. We know that it's probably going to be 80, 20 at best for Oregon's perspective, probably close to 90, 10. Um, if it weren't for that, if this game were played in some place like Dallas or something, I, I might say it'd be, you know, 60, 40, but, but not in Atlanta. So with that in mind, I think you have to be at least plus two in turnover margin. If you're Oregon, because they have unknowns at the skill positions offensively, you know, outside of quarterback. All right. Even if you just operate from the assumption of Nick's, and the offensive line, and even say, oh, well, the offense may be more explosive, and you feel really good about you know, the receivers who are young and heralded recruits and this, that, the other. Hey, it's, it's all unproven. You don't know that yet. Defensively, this team with Kayvon Thibodeau had its worst results and production in sacks since 
the stat became tracked by the NCAA in 2000. And that was with a top five pick in the NFL draft, which obviously is not something that happens in the Pac-12 very often. So there's questions on both sides of the ball for this team. And reason for doubt, which I think is part of what's feeding into the 17-point line beyond Georgia coming off a national championship. So path to victory to me starts with being positive in turnovers and starts with explosive plays on offense especially uh, and containing them defensively for the Ducks. If Oregon is plus two or more in turnovers and has the big play margin in their favor, I think their possibility, I mean, I'm really not realize, you know, really going out on a limb, but truly, you know, if they if they have a significant edge in plays of 20 plus yards offensively uh, versus, you know, ones allowed and a plus two or more turnover margin, I think it's, you know, think it's possible. Having said that, Am I picking the Ducks to win the game? No, I'm not. I do think Georgia is the superior team top to bottom, but I'm not sure that that superiority is 17 points worth. All right, James, we'll see how it unfolds and uh, safe travels on your way from uh, the West Coast. And we'll uh, see you at the Mercedes-Benz press box on Saturday. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. All right, we thank uh, James Crepia for uh, joining us talking about Oregon. Ryan, uh, a lot of talk this week about the tight ends. Uh, you know, actually talk all off season about, you know, all the Brock Bowers and Eric Gilbert, Darnell Washington. Oscar Delp, throw Oscar him in Dell. the mix, yeah. So we're, we're finally going to get a chance to see them, if they can live up to the hype Saturday. Uh, a little scared to a certain extent. I mean, uh, Gilbert... Got uh, wrecked a Mercedes the other day. Uh, kind of some photos were floating around on social media. and But he was at practice. Um, I know he got a couple of citations, but luckily, um, you know, much better to have uh, the vehicle damaged than the actual person. And he's in uh, good shape, I presume, will be able to play Saturday. Um, you think that's going to be the uh, bread and butter for this offense this week? I mean, if you judge by how they utilized Brock Bowers last year in this offense, and when you can add in Irene Gilbert and, you know, Darnell Washington keeps doing what, you know, he's been doing and improving and throw in Oscar Delp. I mean, geez, we ain't even talked about A.D. Mitchell, Lad McConkey. I mean, those types of guys at receiver, are they going to get to touch the ball? I mean, I, <laughs> with, the, with the way that the, this offense has the, the tight ends uh, rolling, man, it uh, – Let's just say there's going to be a lot of a lot of uh, wealth uh, to be spread around there. One guy I'm looking forward to seeing uh, is uh, Michael Williams, uh, the defensive end uh, slash linebacker out of Columbus, Georgia. You've heard of the guys on the Georgia team compare him to Trayvon Walker, and so that's kind of eye-opening to to hear that off of a guy that's been on campus for four or five, six months, I guess, uh, as an early enrollee. And, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see if he's a guy that will get in for, like, 10 snaps or will he get in for, like, 30, you know? Right. What will his role be and, you know, will he be a guy that flashes immediately? I feel like there's going to be several freshmen that that we're keeping our eye on, seeing how much they play in that first game. I kind of get a feeling he's going to play a little more than 10 snaps. I feel like he's going to be a guy they, they, you know, he's on one of those rotations where they flap their arms and they run in and out, you know, and that's their – uh, defensive uh, alignments and all the you know that 
you have the certain groups that, that go in and, and play certain roles. I think he's right in there as being one of those guys because I, I just – I think, one, they, they need it. You know, there's going to be a lot of new faces on this team. And, and two, I, I mean, from what we can hear, he's just that talented. So, yeah, I'm, I'm excited to see what, what Michael can bring. All right, before we make our picks, uh, some notable NFL cuts as the rosters got down to – what is it, 50 – 53. 53. Yeah. A lot of guys from – some of the uh, early Kirby teams um, you saw on the waiver wire. Sonny Michelle was cut and then signed with the Chargers. Uh, Solomon Kinley, Javon Wims, Terry Godwin, Justin Schaefer, Mark Webb, J.R. Reed, Jordan Jenkins, Jason Stanley, who was a DB with, for the Bears. Um, Schaefer uh, now back on the practice squad with the Falcons. And I believe every Georgia player uh, – or I'd, except for Schaefer, so 14 guys uh, that were drafted made rosters. I mean, that's usually the case. But, you know, I guess Darian Kendrick was more of a late guy. You're thinking uh, about Fitzpatrick. Fitzpatrick, yeah. Six-rounder to the Falcons. So Jacob Eason also cut and then reportedly will be signing for the Panthers uh, practice squad. He was with uh, his hometown Seattle there. I yeah. saw him on uh, national TV a couple weeks ago. All right, let's, let's make these picks. Uh, I believe Ryan still owes me a steakhouse burger, or I owe him. Who won last year? Pretty sure uh, you owe me one. Oh. In fact, uh, it's still open, I think. little double or nothing. Here we go. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, all right, first SEC game is Thursday night. Ball State and Tennessee. Balls by 34 and a half. Uh, give me the balls and that number. Ball State 4 and 8 and 2 and 6 in the MAC last year. You know, I just... I, I'm still not on the Tennessee hype train just yet. And, and I know it's Ball State they're playing, but uh, just give, give me Ball State to go a different route there and, and to cover the 34-and-a-half. West Virginia Pitt in the backyard brawl. It's JT Daniels' debut as a Mountaineer. Panthers by 7-and-a-half. I will take Pitt. I think the program's a, you know, a pretty good upper division ACC team. You know, even if they had their dude wide receiver transfer to Southern Cal and then the other guy now Slovis. That's no, the name. Well, they Slovis came from Southern Cal. Yeah. Talking about with Jordan Addison, I guess, right? The wide receiver that went to transfer to uh, Southern Cal. I'll take gotcha. the Panthers. Where's this one at? In Pitt? In Pitt. Mm, yeah. Yeah, I'm going to go with you there with the, with Pittsburgh uh, at home. Are they still playing Heinz Field? Or that might have changed names, actually. I believe it. Actually, yeah, I think you're right. It might have changed names, yeah. Mm, I saw the big ketchup bottle coming down off the stadium. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. Give me Pitt. Well, they had the ketchup bottle in the stadium? I thought so. I think they pulled it down the other day. Always good with the condiment updates. Penn State, Purdue. Uh, Penn State by three and a half in West Lafayette. I'm going to say give, the boil- give me some Boilermakers at home. Ooh, give me Penn State. That sounds like a that sounds like one that, that Penn State goes in and Takes care of business. James Franklin, kind of important for him to yeah, it is. get that program up, up a little bit better for what you know they brought him in for. Louisiana Tech and Missouri, I believe, maybe a Thursday game. 20 and a half points Missouri is favored by. That seems like a lot for the Tigers. I'm going to take La Tech, getting the points. Yeah, I'm going to make this quick, La Tech. Temple at Duke, Dewan Mathis starting in Durham for your Temple Owls. He was... That's a good story. I believe he started about seven or eight games last year. Then uh, talked about going to the transfer portal, then came back. Uh, I'm going to take Duke get, giving seven and a half at home. 
Oh, Lord. Um, yeah. Yeah, I think... Give me, give me Temple. I'll take Temple in this. North Carolina is at Appalachian State. Tar Heels are getting a half a point. Um, I'm going to take App State at home. Uh, you know, I think North Carolina might be playing, is it Georgia State next week? They, they got back-to-back games. Didn't they open the season last week? Who did they play? They played at home against North Carolina A&T. My point is that an ACC school going to App State and then another, you know, smaller non-Power 5 is kind of, uh, you know, an outlier type deal. I'm going to take uh, App State. You know, I've always liked App State. I like their field. I like their uh, town with that Boone, North Carolina, nice area. It's a, it's a beautiful place, and it's a beautiful field. Give me them for that reason. All right, Michigan uh, has an interesting situation with their quarterbacks as uh, they will be hosting Colorado State. Wolverines are favored by 31-and-a-half, and this is a Cade McNamara starting game, the guy that went up against Georgia. Uh, but they're rotating quarterbacks. Did you hear about that, Ron? I have not heard about that. I did hear something about uh, – Well, they're rotating him in this sense. J.J. McCarthy – who was a, was a stud, I believe was a freshman last year, came in, played a good, good number of uh, snaps, you know, in, in most games. He is starting game two against Hawaii, and then Harbaugh's going to make a decision. Yeah, that doesn't seem good for team chemistry, does it? Well, I mean, you don't think it would have been good uh, if Kirby just said, okay, JT, you're starting this week. Uh, Stetson, you're going next week. Will they do that now with the Carson and uh, Vandergriff gets third game? You mean next year? <laughs> yeah, maybe so. I mean, if Michigan wins the national I mean, like Carson does second game, Vandergriff. Anyway, uh, what was the game we're picking again? I'm done. Oh, Michigan. Michigan by, by 31 and a half. I'm uh, taking, I'm taking uh, Michigan. All right, give me whoever they're playing. Really? Yeah, why not? Colorado State. Yeah, I like Colorado Cincinnati State. Cincinnati and Arkansas, the Razorbacks by six and a half. Uh, it's a big number against a team that just made the playoff. I will take Cincinnati getting the points. Give me Arkansas. Interesting. Uh, Arizona, Arizona is playing San Diego State. San Diego State by six and a half. A lot of distraction this week at San Diego State where the Matt Arizia story uh, from his days at San Diego State, a couple other teammates, sexual assault charges. He was released by the Bills. Uh, I don't know if you saw the clips of the press conference where the, the coach uh, left the press conference, didn't want to answer questions, I think came back. Mm. It's a distraction. Give me Arizona getting six and a half. I don't know. Arizona's been so down. Yeah, give me San Diego State. Utah is going to the Swamp to play Florida. It is uh, the Utes getting two and a half. I'm going to take the Pac-12 team with the road win. Utah is a uh, maybe a kind of an outside playoff contender. I'll take Utah. Yeah, they've been getting a lot of hype so far this year. I've seen a lot of a lot of things on uh, game day and everything else about how the Utes are could be you know borderline there when it comes to getting into the playoffs. Uh, you know, at Florida, I just don't think Florida is just right where they need to be just yet with the, with the new coach and all. But uh, so for that reason, I think Utah actually wins uh, pretty handily. Notre Dame at Ohio State. It's the Buckeyes by seventeen and a half. Um, Irish have a new head coach, guy that was Cincinnati's defensive coordinator uh, before, uh, Marcus Freeman, very impressive guy. I remember doing Zooms with him uh, before the Cincinnati-Georgia Peach Bowl, and you knew that guy was, was going to be a quick mover, and he, and he is now. Um, I think the Irish cover that 17 and a half. 
they so I'll take the points. Buckeyes still get the win, but I'll, I'll take Notre Dame. Man, that seems like another big line, doesn't it, for for that type of game? I don't know. I, I'll watch maybe a little bit of that for local uh, standout Deion Colsey. I heard he might be a little bit injured there with the uh, Fighting Irish, but I, I, I agree that Notre Dame covers a, a big spread like that, even against a, a you know Buckeyes team that comes in ranked number two in the preseason. Utah State is at Alabama, tied by 41 and a half. Um, UConn just came off uh, – I'm sorry, Utah State just came off a win over UConn, 31 to 20. 41 and a half. I'm going to take Utah State. I think they're going to lose by 40. Doesn't this seem like just the type of game, though, that Alabama comes out and it might be like 14 to you know, 3 at halftime and everybody's like, oh, look at that. And the next thing you know, it's 62 to 3. Uh, but – Saying that, I think I'm going to go with Utah State to to cover it barely. Yeah. Georgia State getting 12 at South Carolina. I'm taking the Gamecocks. Yeah, yeah. Give me the Gamecocks. I, I think I like the I like the trajectory the Gamecocks are going on a little bit. All right, two more quick ones without much analysis. Florida State at LSU. Tigers by three and a half. Florida State just coming off a game. Uh, they went. Duquesne. We were home against Duquesne. I'm going to take LSU in the Brian Kelly debut. I think he's going to enjoy it down there with his family. Family. <laughs> is, that, is, that the, is that the Kelly uh, I, I didn't do a good impression of, but yeah. I, I'll take LSU. Yeah, I think LSU too. Clemson, Georgia Tech. I don't know. You know, there's a 21.5 point uh, line for the Tigers. This is the Chick-fil-A Bowl game two uh, Sunday. No, it's Monday, isn't it? What? Is it Monday? Is it Monday? Maybe it's Monday. I do believe so. Is it? Yeah. I believe uh, so. I don't know. Um, look, Clemson won a lot of games last year, like, with way too close a score. I think this time they're going to win it. Uh, they're going to cover that 21 and a half. Let me ask you this. Who's the home team in Atlanta? Doesn't matter. <laughs> uh, yeah, I like Clemson, too, in this. I think that'll, you know, that Georgia Tech just mm, not, not impressing me of late. Now I need to find out exactly when that game is. It's Monday night. It is Monday at 8, 8 o'clock. Yeah. All right, and let's wrap it up with uh, Oregon, Georgia. I think you had the line a little bit higher. I got an updated line today. Bulldogs by 16 and a half. Um, look, I might be a little bit um, Regency bias or whatever, but I watched the uh, Pac-12 championship game. Uh, Utah just took Oregon to the woodshed in Mario Cristobal's last game there. Then I saw the... Uh, matchup against Oklahoma, which also had interim coach in the Alamo Bowl. Uh, look, they had some opt-outs. Thibodeau didn't play. Um, but this looks like a game that Georgia certainly should be able to cover that number. Um, you know, Georgia's offensive line is a strength. Their quarterback, you know, even though he's uh, has criticism, he's got a lot of uh, playmakers back. I think Kenny McIntosh is, is uh, you know, kind of geared up for possibly a big season. And this defense still has some studs. You might have heard of Jalen Carter. You might have heard of Keely Ringo and uh, Nolan Smith. And then they got other guys waiting in the wings. Some, you know, guys that don't get as much kind of love. Christopher Smith. You have Robert Beal. Um, you know, guys that have been around the block a little bit. Um, you know, and I think some of these young studs like uh, Jamon Dumas Johnson. Um, Pop, as I call him. You know, Smile Munden. We mentioned Michael Williams. Um, you know. I think uh, certainly Bo Nix can create some problems and maybe he'll be more uh, kind of dialed back in terms of his uh, playmaking, uh, uh, freelancing, uh, things of that nature. 
Uh, I think Stetson does need to kind of, you know, keep the touchdown to interception ratio like he had it last year. But uh, it will be a, a home crowd for the most part, probably 90% Georgia fans, I would guess. So uh, I'm taking the Bulldogs. Um, you know, Oregon's kind of breaking in. Got a lot of transfers. Maybe some of those guys will flash, but lost a lot of talent at, at wideout. Maybe they can run the ball behind that veteran offensive line, but uh, I'm taking the Bulldogs. Yeah, I, you know, like I said to James earlier, I, it seems like a little bit high for a, for a you know, top 11 matchup as it is. Now, Georgia on offense, like you had mentioned, the embarrassment of riches there. I mean, they that what Stetson has to throw to, what you know, the line they have to run behind, the running backs. I, I mean, Georgia on offense, you know, is exceptional right now. It appears on paper. Uh, you bring in Dan Lanning. You think he would improve the defense uh, dramatically there for Oregon? I think they they do enough to keep this game. Under the 16 and a half, I guess, as you as you call it now. Can it be anywhere from 12 to 15? Yeah, I can see it being that way. But Georgia also has a lot on defense that they have got to fill these huge holes. Kirby Smart did say, I think it was at media days, that this is a group that has never experienced it. They're going to be hungry. They're going to want to get in there and prove their worth. They want to be a first-round pick in a year or two. So, uh, you know, saying that, maybe maybe they'll, you know, be exceptional as exceptional as last year now that won't that probably will not happen but i think it'll be a uh, it'll be a good unit but I, I do think this is a little bit closer than the 16 and a half and uh bulldogs still win easily though all right last thing is the over under on this game i'm going to say uh, ryan will go over two that's chick-fil-a sandwiches that he'll try to scrounge <laughs> around in the, in the press box he'll, he'll see one lying around and he'll just claim it so uh, i'm going yeah, to keep your head on a swivel yeah, I'm going to say he's going to go over to. All right, everyone, enjoy the football. Uh, it's great that college football is back at full force this weekend, and we'll uh, talk to you all next week. Thanks. See ya.